Hello, and welcome to the St. Louis City Press and International Friendly. I have with me Patrick Stark. What a half. Drew Wolfson. Yes, what is up, you wild man? And our man from Hanoi, Chris Hoff. Hey, gentlemen. Great to be here. In a great mood. Well, as well you should be. Let's have some initial reactions. What did we think about that game? Well, I would like to preface this with the fact that I have not seen significant portions of the first half. Shout out to the St. Louis Curling Club at the Creefcore Ice Arena. Look them up. At any rate, I managed to turn the game on right as Berkey made that incredible save to close out the first half. So as far as I can tell, this game was a walk in the park because we were scoring the goals. So I will defer to you guys for a little bit further assessment of the first half. Well, let's talk about the first half, because if you saw it picking up from Berkey's save, you saw a completely different game than before Berkey's save. That's what I'm hearing, and that's why my impression is, wow, never looked in doubt at all. Well, so I actually thought in in kind of a change of pace for St. Louis City, the defense looked really solid. We were worried about the defense going into this game, but uh, Parker was in and the defense looked pretty, pretty solid. Um, The midfield was making them show up, but they did. Yeah, basically that entire section of our last podcast when we talked about the lineup, injury depleted lineup was rubbish because we had guys coming back from injury. We had Tim Parker right back in there, so there was no need for a fourth center back. We had him and Bartlett. The defense played great. Of course, Berkey played great. I think the midfield and the attack is good. We went with two strikers, Giochini and Klaus. Usually we had, in the previous games, we'd only done that at home. We'd played one striker away. But everybody looked okay. It's just that there is that spot between midfield and defense that I feel like was exposed and... Salt Lake did a better job of moving through there and looked a little more dangerous than the previous teams. That's what I took out of the first half. Chris, what did you think about Real Salt Lake in the first half? Uh, I think they were doing what we have been doing to other teams in that first half, which is turning them over in their own half. And we were a little profligate with the ball in some dangerous areas and gave them some chances that they didn't really create for themselves. A couple times, turnovers in the box or second chances given away very cheaply. I remember at one point, and I thought he had a great game otherwise, but Tim Parker, was uh, he beat his man, and then he had a half second to overthink what he was going to do, and he gave the ball away in our own corner, and that led to a pretty dangerous moment. Happened a couple times. We weathered that storm, and uh, then the game turned on its head. Let's talk about that Berkey save. Uh, it would have been a completely different game without that save, I think. Going into halftime down 1-0, you know, you, you you never want that. And notoriously, as I know we've talked about before, maybe not on the podcast, those end of halves are notorious for scoring goals, either for us or against us. This is one of the first end of halves where there hasn't been a, a goal just before the whistle. I think it's the only one that there hasn't been a goal in first half stoppage time. For or against, yeah. Yeah, and it was an excellent save. I I think Berkey had a pretty good save against Portland, and he's played well in basically all the games. But that one, I definitely felt like that's that's a save that 
most keepers don't make any anywhere. And it's the difference between, <laughs> I mean, it's obvious, but it's the difference between being a goal behind and, and being even after a, after a half when they probably shaded it a little bit. They had a, their number nine, Justin Merrim, who I am looking up, he's on the Iraqi national team, looked dangerous. He had one shot that was just wide where he kind of made space for himself. And had another one that was kind of right at Berkey. He looked pretty good. I felt like we did fine in the first half and then had a great save to close it out and was feeling okay about the performance. And then it was just kind of blown wide open after that. You think probably Berkey makes that save, is fired up, and probably a little angry to have to make that save uh, with the defensive collapse that must have led to it, goes into the locker room and just gives it to his defenders and say, hey, we got to straighten up. And he just... he fires them up and they come out and you you know it's all starts in the back as a as a career defender myself even the goals are being scored on the other end it's uh the the block or the intervention by a defender that leads to the the build up to the counter to the goals well i'm interested in something that we probably don't have a full handle on yet as previously mentioned we're studying football tactics was there a change of shape at halftime were we coming back out playing differently or what was going on you know i don't think anybody here really wants to talk about that phil Uh, (laughs) i think this podcast needs to stay as far away from tactics as possible I will say that the press looked a, a, a little more aggressive and they made some mistakes that they hadn't made in the first half, which we have really capitalized on in every in every game. And that started to happen. Maybe it started to happen because we went we went one goal up. I'd, I couldn't really tell you, but it definitely didn't take us long to catch fire in that second half. It did seem that either the coach had given some direction to the, the team or the players themselves had settled down or made some small personal changes to make things more effective and more organized and seemingly safer in that second half. It just didn't feel like we were under the gun. I guess the goal, the early goal, will change the, the approach the other team has to take, but it just did not seem nearly as stressful or threatening from Salt Lake in that second half. Well, let's talk about the goals. Patrick, I guess you saw the first goal on the corner kick. Is that right? I did, yes. It was, uh, you know, I do think we're very dangerous from set pieces. It's, uh, it's always great to see one of those come through, and that was just a, a pretty finish there and coming so early in the second half. Set the scene. Where were you watching it? What was it like? Well, yes. So uh, immediately after finishing my uh, my curling match and losing a real nail biter in the final end. Oh, I uh, ran to the bleachers, turned my phone on to the game to catch that Berkey save. I got my City Red Adidas Ultra Boosts on, which, as far as I'm concerned, are my lucky charm. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. But if you want to send some our way, we'll talk about them hourly. <laughs> in fact, we've given them plenty of money. I have actively paid money to get these shoes. At any rate, at halftime, I made my way to literally the nearest establishment to watch the the second half at The Post on Old Ballas, also not a sponsor. Did they have it up on the screen? They did. They had it on several screens. There was a there was a nice little turnout there for, for people watching the game, but we were still able to find a table, get a couple drinks, and uh, commence our broom stacking. 
Was it a wild atmosphere? It wasn't overly wild. There was a section that was a little bit more rambunctious than the the main seating area where we were. But uh, I was able to watch on the big projector, and it was a it was a nice atmosphere to to enjoy the game with my curling comrades. For those of our listeners who are new to curling, can you define broomstacking? Yes, broomstacking is the age old tradition where after the game, the teams go out and the winning team buys the losing team a drink. Afterwards, the losing team usually buys the winning team a drink. And then after that, people just continue to buy drinks for each other. And that, that, it's, a, it's a lovely tradition associated with curling. I was watching it at Phil's house and after the game, basically just had to drive home, respecting the speed limit, but briskly to get on this podcast. But I will say that after the second goal went in, and especially after the third went in, there were peals of laughter in the Halley living room. Well, so the second goal was was a pretty finish by Klaus, but on a defensive giveaway. Forced by the system. That's right. Yeah, I don't think that defender was particularly glad at his uh, intervention. But good on Klaus for, I mean, that, that kick Ooh. to keep that down out of the air. Yep, on the, was it a half volley? Or no, he he took it he took it in stride. And what technique to, you know, bend his leg up horizontal to the ground and just lace it and get it to peel out to into the side netting beyond the goalkeeper. Classic, classic Klaus. And then the third goal. The third goal that elicited the howls of laughter at the Halley household. It was just the other team. I mean, the press is, is working, but it was another case of the other team just happily obliging us by passing the ball directly to our player. Our most dangerous player. He took, the, he took it with aplomb. <laughs> really, the capitalization on the opponent's mistakes has been outstanding. But it was like just kind of like in the first game when Stroud got the ball. It's like, why are you passing it to a guy wearing a different shirt? Than it's like a pickup basketball game gone wrong. It doesn't seem like he would be easy to miss on the field. That's a big dude. To be fair, he wasn't wearing his city red tonight. It was the, you know, the road arch steel gray, which is less conspicuous. Uh, with three, we were sitting pretty comfortably, but Alm getting his first goal of the season. Yes, Alm coming from the Swedish uh, league to MLS this year, uh, one of our Players assumptively scouted by Lutz at some point in his European forays. Who can really say where he sees these guys, but he sees them and he brought them in. Yeah, he came from Elfsborg, who finished sixth in the Swedish Allsvenskan in 2022. Uh, they are n- referred to as the Eleganterna, the elegance. Oh. Could accurately describe that buildup for that goal, uh, Klaus. To Leuven, to to Alm, and then through the goalie's legs. It was it was beautiful and very nice touches by both Klaus and Leuven. Uh, Leuven, who otherwise did not have the best game, I thought. You know, it doesn't take much when uh, you're as silky smooth and technical as Leuven to make an impact. He didn't do much, but there were a couple very very inch perfect passes and touches from him pretty sure for that assist it was the outside of his right foot it was that he sort of shuffled on very smoothly into alms path for the goal a lot of technique there it doesn't it doesn't take much for someone like him to hurt in attack uh, chris what was the atmosphere like in hanoi for this game uh well the fans who were in attendance at my viewing party were 
very, very excited. Uh, they were to a man geared out in their their city equipment and paraphernalia, scarves even in the heat. But uh, overall, numbers pretty low. Uh, it's an early morning for a soccer match in Vietnam. True enough. But the city faithful will find find a way to wake themselves up and, and watch every week, week in and week out. Well, let's do a comparison. What do we think made this game unique or distinguished it from the previous St. Louis City games? Well, they keep getting better and better each game. You know, the first one seemed pretty fluky, but delightful. Second and third ones, a little, you know, we saw more of the team's quality, but there was also some elements of luck, and all, both of those were come from behind wins. The last one, we blew the earthquakes out at home, and then this one, pretty even first half, as we mentioned, and then demolished them on the road in the second half. All that talk of the cold, brisk, deoxygenated, and salty air was overblown. Indeed, it did not look, obviously, like... We were getting tired or worn out as the game went on. If anything, we looked like the team that had more energy in that second half by far. We massively outperformed our XG in this game. That's something that hasn't necessarily been the case in the four previous victories. Maybe this week's pod will be the pod when we figure out what XG means. Mind you, we have outperformed our XG in every single game, but we massively outperformed it this week. Our XG was 1.72 and we scored four goals. Something uh, within the system must be breaking this metric. I don't even think we need to learn about it because we've already broken it and made it irrelevant. Fair enough. I'd like to say, in addition to Klaus's two lovely goals tonight, he had some very nice defensive plays as well. He was everywhere. I know I, I did overhear it in the bar, the Ted Lasso reference to everyone's favorite, Roy Kent. But for goodness sake, that man was killing it in his own backfield tonight and making some nice passes, some nice footwork in his own end, getting the ball out, getting up for some headers, staying down for some other headers. Anecdotally wondered about, about the ability of his, him to elevate just because, I mean, he's a big guy and he doesn't usually have to elevate that much, but I saw him getting up for some head balls tonight, making some real nice moves and really helping out in his own back end. So well done, Klaus, on both sides of the ball. It looks like they were sitting him at the, the near post uh, while defending corners, and that's an imposing you know, first figure to have to get over. And, and Real Salt Lake were certainly struggling getting making those corner kicks dangerous. I couldn't even get past him. I have an interesting question I'd like to pose, sort of, off script here for you guys what uh what do you make of the fact that we are, have been committing a lot of fouls uh, up to this point in the game as a team what does that say about us what do you think non st louis fans are gonna think of that going forward it's a lot of fouls 20 fouls today i'm trying to remember any that stuck out mostly in the midfield at uh near the sidelines it seemed there there were quite a few uh, not much can be made out of those. Uh, not a very dangerous place for a, a free kick, but still, it's just, it's a recurring theme. 20 fouls this week. What, uh, 17 last week? 17 the week before? 15 the week before that? I've got money on Stroud to be the first to get a straight red card on okay, St. Louis City. It's probably I'm a huge, I'm basically a total homer. I thought the fouls were all pretty fair. I do think, yes, 
Stroud, I'm a little worried about also, Phil. I feel like he'll definitely get a yellow card for yelling at, in the referee's face at some point. And then maybe it's maybe he'll get a fluky, make a bad tackle somehow, you know, an actual yellow card to pair with it for for sending off. But he did he has been getting substituted. I think he went off after like 65 minutes for Alm today. Or no, it's a little earlier than that, like 60 minutes for Alm, but I thought it was fair play. What did we think of the somewhat dangerous defensive tackle in our box? Real Salt Lake looking for a penalty out of that. I don't think it was a penalty, but it was maybe questionable defense. Yeah, we got a little lucky there. Yeah, I don't think it was the penalty either, but it was. It definitely could have been a penalty. If the slightest bit of contact is made, if he didn't jump quite so high, I think there's he could have made a, a bigger meal out of it. And I think if his foot at it, at any point you know, grazes or clips the defender's leg going over, then that's that's a penalty. And then Klaus on the other end was looking for one. Klaus looks for calls occasionally. Well, back to the point about him not going up for headers that Patrick made. Yeah, I was surprised he did make at least three uh, where he out-jumped his opponent, which he hasn't been doing at all. Usually he is choosing not to jump and is instead pinning his man behind him so that that guy can't get the ball either. But in this, or sometimes he doesn't jump and still gets the ball on his head because he's very tall. But this time he did win a couple. But you know, he wants to bring the ball down because that's his, that's his bread and butter. That's, that's where he's the most dangerous. And you, you know, looking at him, you don't think that's where he's going to do the damage. It's very technical. He's got, a great touch for a big man, as they as they say. Oh, taking a drink. Here we go. Taking a drink. Looking ahead to next week, St. Louis City takes on Minnesota. What do we expect out of that game? Uh, a win. I think we have to we have to say that we're going to win. They did. Minnesota were leading one nil at home, and then conceded a ninety eighth minute equalizer to the to Vancouver, who are um, winless so far. It's at home at City Park. I got to feel good. Also, again, another thing we talked about that's at, that may be a little bit suspect in hindsight is uh, talking about home field advantage. There were a lot of away wins in the MLS today, including Seattle coming back from 1-0 away to win 1-4. I think we had some audio issues with the game that the announcers were putting down to a lack of crowd energy. It was a very cold night and a lot of empty seats in the stadium in Real Salt Lake. But yeah, it never looked like the crowd was getting to us or really pulling for the home team there. The chatter is that that's supposed to be one of the most difficult places to play, both atmospherically and, I guess, because of the weather and elevation, especially at this point in the season. That just didn't seem to bother the St. Louis City players at any point. Would you say also the lack of atmosphere can get to the... Nice one. The atmosphere and the lack of atmosphere, yes. Yeah. Uh, I have breaking news from someone who was at the game that the arena was not very loud and people left. Special source. Uh, Our man on the inside. It looked colder there and uh, less protection in that stadium than you get from City Park here. Fair, fair. It was colder. Also, I think... I'm under the impression there was a significant amount of snow in play earlier in the day. Maybe it made it hard to get to the stadium. I mean, this, the the pitch was clear. Seats are probably wet. You don't want a wet seat in what was colder temperatures than here. That being said, we did note on the broadcast that the <laughs> the Salt Lake fans are are really pretty uh, 
used to that weather based on their attire. They weren't uh, bundled up like you you saw at our city game last year. I guess it's par for the course for them, for those diehard fans. And die they did. Oh, so good on them for toughing it out, those who did come. All right. Well, with five games played and five wins, it's been an exciting St. Louis City season so far. Let's hope it keeps going. Top of the table. Thanks for joining the Late Night Pod. Everyone have a good night.